On this episode of the Breaking the Game show, Austin and I are joined by our Off the Ball Network colleague, Chris Bolton. We talk about Jamal Murray's injury and how that impacts the, the Denver Nuggets. We talk about Kevin Durant versus Shannon Sharp. We get into how this season has just been so strange. We talk about the play-in tournament and our takes on that. And we close out the show by talking about the top 25 players under the age of 25. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking the Game show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie, and joining me as always is my partner in crime, Austin Carr. Austin, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Stephen. It's been a, a pretty great Sunday for me. You know, I went and went and bought some trading cards earlier, and you know how much I like those. Yeah, you're and a bit of a trading you. card nerd. Yes, big time, big time. <laughs> Anyone ever interested in learning anything about it, I'm your guy for sure. Him up at Austin Car Ten on yep. Twitter, and he will definitely hook you up with some more knowledge. But um, Austin, we have a great show lined up today. We have an awesome guest. He's actually a returning guest. And before we do that, I want to remind everybody that support for Breaking the Game is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. You're looking and talking to two of them right now. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners today, 20% off plus free shipping with the code BTG at manscaped.com. Austin, tell them a little bit about Manscaped real quick. I'll tell you what, you know, Steven said it right in that read right there. You know, they obsess over their technology. It's, it's, it's perfectly built stuff. I mean, it's, it's made for what it's supposed to do. And it does a wonderful job. Uh, you know, Stephen is kind of a, become a walking billboard for them. I think he wears their boxers, their undershirts, and their foot powder seven days a week. So yeah, I love them. I'm wearing undies right now. So why wouldn't uh, you? See, yeah. we're not even we're we're <laughs> hundreds of miles apart. I didn't even know that, but I knew that. And Austin knows what underwear I'm wearing. All right, before the show gets weird, <laughs> let's go ahead yep. and uh, bring in the man of the hour. All right. He is a fellow off the ball network alumni. He is the WCBI TV sports reporter and the host of the checkup with Chris Bolton podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chris Bolton. Chris, what's up, brother? What's going on, fellas? Hey, life's good, man. man. How you how you living? Hey, life is great. I'm, I'm feeling good, living good. Can't complain. Can't beat that, man. We're honored to have you, man. We Always. had you on last time. I don't know if you remember, but you were on our team building segment, and I learned a lot about the way you think on that show, yes. and uh, definitely more than excited to have you back. Austin, how are you feeling about having Chris back? Oh, man, you heard me talking about it earlier on Twitter with you today. I always love talking to Chris. It's just you're a fun guy to talk to. You know you, you know your stuff for sure, and I'm, I'm always excited to have you on. I appreciate that, Austin. I, I felt sure. it. Thank you. All right. So, Chris, we have an excellent show lined out today. You know what we're going to be talking about. So let's share that with our listeners. We're going to start the show talking a little bit about Jamal Murray, his injury and what that means for the Denver Nuggets. Now, for those who don't know, 
Um, and if you're checking out the NBA for the first time and you stumbled upon this show on Nothing But Net or on our podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. And what we like to do here on the show is we don't like to condescend our audience. We don't like to we don't hate the game that we cover. You know, we're basketball lovers. We like to try to educate people along the way, too. And so if you're tuning in, thank you. But for Jamal Murray, he was injured on April 12th. He tore his ACL in his left knee. The Nuggets right now are considering uh, signing Austin Rivers. They haven't done it yet, but they're likely rumored to be Mm -hmm. bringing him on. But Chris, man, how does the loss of Jamal Murray impact Denver? Um, It's a huge loss. I mean, this is he's their their lead guard, you know, shot creator. You know what I'm saying? Um, when we saw in the bubble, when they needed a bucket in crunch time, Jamal Murray was the go-to guy. He provided more times than none. So um, as a team that's looking to make that next step, they just acquired Aaron Gordon, who's filling the role for them, and they've been looking great with him alone. This was a team that looked like a serious contender to make it out the West. You know, they 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 had their lumps last season when you, uh, lose, you lose some close games to the Lakers. And you you get that experience. You're you're building towards that next step. And I thought they were going to make it happen this year. And uh, the chances are very slim now when you lose a, a key piece to making it happen. Yeah. So Austin, right? We know. And Chris just pointed that out. Key playmaker. He can attack you off the dribble. Excellent shooter. I believe he had what a fifty point game earlier in the season <laughs> with, and that was only on jump shots and and right. no free throws. Right. So like right. that was nuts. So we saw that we saw a little bit of that last season in the bubble, but Austin, he didn't necessarily have the best start to the season, right? Right. And I think a lot of that was just due to the how much the expectations around him are ramped up coming into the season because of how well he played in the bubble. I mean, if we're realistic about it, no one could have expected him to keep up that level of play. I mean, he was like there were moments where he was single handedly like willing his team back from, you know, big deficits in the second half to win these mm-hmm. games. Just you could see kind of the way Jimmy Butler looked exhausted at the end of the playoffs. I feel like Jamal Murray looked that way, too, after a lot of those games, uh, just giving it 100 percent his all. And, you know, I feel bad for him with this injury for sure. I, I hope he has a speedy recovery. I hope it's not too bad. You know, I was listening to a radio show earlier this week about it, and one of the guys on there said that when he played, you know, this type of injury, the first thing they tell you is it's possibly career-threatening. Well, at least it's not like that anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it could possibly be a blessing in disguise for the Nuggets in the long run. I don't know that they were necessarily, in my eyes, a legitimate contender quite yet this year. But, you know, we'll get, we'll get into it a little bit more, but... You know, you never want to see a guy get hurt. Michael Porter Jr. is going to get all the chances in the world to become the, you know, the man on that team now. So hopefully, hopefully for him and for the Nuggets, they can, they can, he can step into that role. Yeah, no doubt. So Chris, the the Nuggets right now, they're fourth in the Western Conference. Probably by probably by the time people are listening to this live, uh, their their record, maybe even their standings are going to change a little bit. But right now, as of as of this recording, they're thirty six and twenty, fourth in the Western Conference. And actually on a two game win streak without Murray. So, you know, a little bit of um, cushioning in their standings right now. If the if, you know, everyone's favorite saying if the playoffs were to start today, they would be facing the Los Angeles Lakers. Obviously, that's not where they want to be when the playoffs actually start. Uh, So, Chris, when you're looking at this injury to Murray, they're probably going to be adding Austin Rivers and they're on a two game win streak without Murray. Do you think it's possible that the Nuggets 
given how crazy this season are has already been this year, we'll talk about that about that more here in a little bit. Is it possible, Chris, that the Nuggets can still make a little bit of noise in the playoffs? Definitely, definitely. I mean, you're looking at a team that has, you know, probably the MVP with Nikolai Jokic. Uh, you have, in my eyes, the best backup lead guard in the league, Monty Morris. Mm-hmm. So you're positioned with great players that can step up and elevate their game and still got some good role guys. This is still a very good team. So um, this, despite them losing Murray, I can still see them making some noise. Will it be the same noise they would have made with Murray? Of course not. But they still can uh, do some things. Yeah, I believe that too. Austin, we talked about this guy in the trade to Orlando. You know who they could really use right now is an RJ Hampton, right? Yes, yes, they yeah. could. I feel like they've got to be, you know, kicking themselves a li- at least a little bit. I know Aaron Gordon's been pretty well, d- been doing pretty well for them too. And you know, before Murray got hurt, that that lineup with with Gordon in there, that five was the most efficient lineup in basketball since they came together and you know they already have more chemistry than the entire Brooklyn Nets team it feels like you know they've played more together before they before the injury so you know I I expect them to to stay afloat it's not like they're gonna just bottom out and crash and and burn because Murray's not there now do teams with a a center as their go-to number one best player win titles not very often especially not today so, you know, that hurts them because, we, you know, we've talked about it before, Stephen. We both kind of agreed on this point. You you almost have to have that shot-making creator that can get his own shot from the perimeter, you know, in crunch time, especially in the playoffs. Jokic is a little bit different than most bigs in that, you know, he can – he is a playmaker. He can pass. He, they run the offense through him. But he's not going to step out and take a guy one-on-one on the perimeter and hit a jump shot in his face to win a game. Not very often. Like right. Bam Adebayo just did for Miami, True. right? If you're listening True. to this, yeah. that was a heck of a shot. Yeah. So Chris, I saw you kind of shaking your head a little bit when Austin and I were talking about RJ Hampton. What are your thoughts about, you know, obviously losing Murray. Now they don't have RJ Hampton. What did you see RJ Hampton possibly bring into this team? Had they kept him? I mean, he's a dynamic guard with, uh, you know, he has a select skill right now. Of course, that's his athleticism, his speed. So, you know, he's somebody who could definitely push the pace, be able to make some things happen when it comes to uh, playing off of Jokic, maybe getting some some straight line cuts, some easy layups. And, you know, off of that, you know, even creating himself a little bit. But, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, you, you, you trade one guy expecting Murray to stay healthy because you're trying to win right now. They saw this as their window right now is bringing Gordon to make this happen for this season. And uh, it's, it's sad how it just kind of worked out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got RJ Hampton's in Orlando right now. He's played about 11 games for them, putting up nine points per game. Imagine that athleticism paired with Nikola Jokic. I mean, you could be looking at, you know, a really good slash, albeit he's a rookie, right? But, you know, a really good slasher attacks the basket. Not really the best shooter, but I mean, could bring a little bit of something else to this team, but we can't, you know, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> so um, they don't have RJ Hampton. Chris, what do you think of them signing or potentially signing Austin Rivers? Do you think that kind of helped buoys them a little bit? Do you look at him as a starter or maybe backing up Monte he's, Morris? He's going to back up Morris, but um, it definitely makes sense because he's the same archetype of player that Murray is. Is, is he on the same level? Of course not or else mm-hmm. he would already be on the team with someone right now. But he brings that same kind of, you know, shot-creating ability. We've seen Rivers recently have, like, 30-point games. 
You know, he's someone who can get hot and fill it up himself, just like Murray can. But um, so it makes sense. But uh, you know, if you're a Nuggets fan, you definitely have to taper your expectations of what Rivers is going to bring to the team. Yeah, I don't see him walking in putting up fifty piece. You know, dinners every night. Austin, what do you think about, <laughs> right. you know, your fellow Austin potentially being a Denver Nugget? Yeah, when you said that you heard they were going to sign Austin, I perked up because I thought maybe you were talking about me for a minute. I was like, I'm finally getting my shot, coach. <laughs> I hope you would find out before me. I mean, I do break a lot of news here on the show, but, you know, I well, hope unless they want, a, you know, a liability on defense that's not going to do anything but shoot 40 footers and just sure doesn't get a shot. <laughs> I don't think they want me. Uh, no, Austin Rivers, I think more than anything right now, might just be a healthy body that they're bringing in to get through this last stretch of the season. We already have talked about how condensed everything is and how many back-to-backs there are, and, and they just need to keep guys healthy. They have a roster spot, and you know they need another guard that can you know, handle the ball and set up, you know, at least set up the offense to get it to Jokic where they kind of run things off of. So, you know, I think he'll play some, obviously. He's not he's not going to be like a significant part of their offense, but they don't really need more offense at this point. Even with Murray out, they have a lot of guys that can score. They're still going to score a lot of points. And, you know, he's got a lot of experience. He's the son of one of the best coaches in the NBA. He's been around. So, you know, he brings something to that locker room and I'm sure he'll, you know, bring toughness and energy on defense, which is something that's going to be, you know, paramount come playoff time. Yeah, absolutely. And one guy I think that people aren't really talking about that they maybe should start focusing on without Murray is Will Barton because he's kind of one of these combo guards, can create, can pull up off the dribble a little bit. Maybe he kind of slides into the role that Jamal Murray has. Chris, what do you think about potentially Will Barton trying to take on a little bit more of that offensive load? Definitely. I can definitely see that because, like you said, you know, Barton's a guy who can can score himself at times. Um, Like you mentioned, brings energy and – everybody's going to have to step up. You know, Barton, he's going to have to bring uh, increase his game. MPJ, he's going to have to take a little bit of that shot creation that uh, Murray had. You know, we might see Gordon be doing a few more things on offense instead of just being – he's been that hustle guy as mm-hmm. of late, but he might have to take on a little more of a scoring role. So, yeah, everybody's going to have to elevate. Yeah, that's a fair point. So, um, gentlemen, I feel like that adequately – um, covers the Jamal Murray discussion unless Austin you had something else that you wanted to add uh, no I was just going to say you know Chris kind of proved my point right there I mean he just named off four or five guys that can come in and get a bucket for Denver and Barton I think it, you made a good point there I think he's somebody that can definitely shoulder a little bit more of the offensive load if he needs to Yeah. speaking of offensive loads we're going to talk about now Kevin Durant in his recent battle with uh, Shannon Sharp now Chris we Austin and I have um, kind of aired out our feelings a little bit um, last week with our guest, Lauren Gunn. Shout out to Lauren Gunn. Um, but we never get a chance to talk with you about this. And, uh, you know, being in the media yourself, uh, being a lover of sports the way that you are. Uh, Shannon Sharp, first off, I want to ask you, how do you feel about him kind of stepping out of bounds a little bit? You know, a lot of people look at what he said and say, well, I agree with what he said. That's fine. But the way that he went about what he said, I feel like, you know, is a is a faulty foundation. You know, he found a, 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 what a, a meme, pretty mm-hmm. much, one of those Twitter posts that people create. Yeah, it was um, one of those memes. It was a false quotation. And he used that to basically systematically attack the mindset, the psychology, you know, everything that is wrong with Kevin Durant. Um, as, as a media member, when you see a guy like Shannon Sharp and 
although he is one of these entertainers, a lot of people do base their sports opinion off people on television. You know, that right. we feel like there's a reason why they're on there. So, Chris, what did you think about this situation? I thought Shannon was just blatantly wrong. You know, if you if you go on TV and you are misquoting somebody, you know, and that's that's what you do, you have to apologize publicly. So that whole thing with them on Twitter, like I feel where Katie's coming from. You're putting words, you're literally putting words in my mouth. So uh I need your apology to be as loud as your wrong was on Twitter. So yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And that's how I felt too. So Austin. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is an instance where, oh, it's Kevin Durant, so whatever. You know, I don't care yeah. about this. You know, the same thing would probably happen if it was Kyrie Irving. But let's let's just be hypothetical. Let's use a little bit of hyperbole. Mm-hmm. Say this was, oh, I don't know, Chris Paul. And Shannon Sharp went on, on TV, found a false quote that Chris Paul didn't say, and attacked him on Twitter. Do you think people would be as understanding or quick to just dismiss it as they are right now with Kevin Durant? Not at all, and I haven't even really thought about this, but this is a good, a, a good, you know, point you're making here because okay. I think if it were someone like Chris Paul, everyone's reaction would be like, "Why in the world did you go at at him <laughs> with a fake quote? Like he doesn't, he, he's not a big social media presence, really, as far as I know. He's not in the headlines a lot for anything other than, oh, look, Chris Paul helped another team win more games than the year before." Every year, you know, whatever team he's on, he goes to, they seem to win. And if it was anybody else, if it was a, a lesser named player, even, I, I don't think you would see the type of, oh, well, you know how Kevin Durant is. Right. It doesn't matter how Kevin Durant is. If he's that way, then you should have plenty of, of firepower to go at him with stuff he's actually said and not have to make stuff up. And I don't know. I just feel like it was a huge reach on Shannon's point just to try to, I guess, get ratings or, or have something explosive to say or whatever, which I don't know. I just feel like that show has enough of that already as it is. And he just, I'm sure he is, you know, re- regrets doing it. I, I feel like he probably feels like he realized he makes made a mistake. And I think everybody knows that, but no, I don't think he would, he would get anywhere near the type of, you know, people coming to his defense. If it were somebody other than one of these guys, that's, already always in the headlines for this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. yeah and so chris i want to pose this to you now so we're we're all on the same page right now that shannon did the wrong thing and because it was kevin durant is kind of just quickly swept underneath the rug uh kevin durant didn't take it lying down though he he went at him on twitter you know Mm -hmm. you can make the cases if if he's too sensitive on social media what have you Uh, i feel like that's irrelevant for this individual isolated case in a vacuum Right. Um, and then Shannon Sharp kind of seemingly went to take the high road. You know, he was like, oh, I just want you to have a healthy season, you know, peace and everything else. Um, and a lot of people and even within our network, they saw this and they're like, "Ah, oh, Shannon Sharp, you know, he's an entertainer. You can't really take anything he says. Seriously, I touched on this earlier, Chris. These entertainers, they are a base of some people's information. People will formulate thoughts, opinions. Yes, exactly. Perception is reality, much like you said. I'm I'm of the mindset that we do need to hold these entertainers accountable if they're going to be on the national airwaves making statements. And you're shaking your head. Do you agree with that? Definitely. I mean, if you're going to be making a bag off of what you're saying, you're the you're quote unquote the voice of you know the the NBA or just other leagues that you talk about because you are put in this position to speak nationally to hundreds of thousands, millions of people. 
yes, you should be held accountable. I mean, you have, of anybody that's speaking about sports, you are the main one that should be held accountable. Yeah, and and I agree with that too, Austin. You, it's, I just it sounds like, like it, it's it's hard to to take when you know that these guys are this is what they do for a living, and they act like they don't even have to be credit have any credibility whatsoever. When there's you know not just us, thousands of people out there trying to make it in in that type of position that pride themselves on only you know providing accurate information, and it's just it's kind of annoying to see that these guys are up there making you know ridiculous amount of money and have all these this huge following that listen to them and half the time i mean not half the time but there's a lot of instances where people are like either don't know the guy that they're really talking about and you can tell or just are you know pulling things out of thin air yeah it is definitely frustrating i don't think that are wild Mm -hmm. uh, right names that shouldn't be that high Right. Pretty and true. I feel like there's like two or three people come out with mock drafts and then all of a sudden, like everybody just changes a couple names around and then immediately they have one out too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. Um, I, I'm so glad though, Chris, that you agree. And I know that you have a, you know, your vantage point and your perception on this, I greatly value because you're someone who, you know, is a television reporter, you know, you do cover the game, you know, on a, you know, on TV, you know, and you obviously do your own podcasts and stuff like that too. So, um, I, I appreciate you giving us your perception and, and the way that you view this as someone who, you know, is actually, you know, in media the way that you are. So thank you for sharing that. And no problem. No problem. We, we agree that, that, that whole interaction was strange, but that's just, you know, kind of the, the smaller piece of the whole pie here that this has been a really strange season. And, I don't feel like anyone's really talking about the season being strange in the whole. Um, just to kind of let everyone know, I'm working on a, it's not even an article. It's basically like a short story or, or something. I, I don't know the exact terminology that I'm going to roll with here, but it's it's going to be an extensive read just covering all the different facets of how strange the season has been. And I know that Austin, you're working on a piece covering just like the blowout portion in particular. Yeah. I feel like from what you've told me about yours, yours is going to be more opinion and mine's going to be more like just a lot of numbers, you know, like usual with me, just a lot of stats. <laughs> yeah. Mine's going to have a whole lot of everything in there. Right. But Chris, um, with with that kind of build up into the, the, into the conversation, mm-hmm. how have you processed this season? I mean, because we've had blowouts, we've had injuries. The teams that are higher up in the standings right now weren't necessarily the ones that we would pick come yeah. the start of the season. The MVP race is so different. We have health and safety protocols. We have a team from another country playing in Tampa Bay. Like we have right. a whole bunch of weird things happening, right? Kevin Durant's fighting with, you know, Michael Rappaport and Shannon Sharp. I mean, we got yeah, we're, we're in a <laughs> Black Mirror episode, it feels like. Uh, that's a very adequate way to put Netflix, that. But no, it's, hey, it's at the beginning crazy. of the season, oh, sorry. Oh, uh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, at the beginning of the season, all we talked about was how long KD was going to put up with Kyrie's antics off the court. And now it's completely shoes on the other foot, I guess. Right, right. But yeah, it's just been a strange, wild season. Um, I guess it's, a lot of it has to do with, you know, athletes, especially guys that I imagine make it to their, their level of play they are definitely creatures of habit. So when things get thrown off and you guys don't have the same off season time to, you know, gear their bodies up for a season, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, it just throws everything off. 
So that's why you had the season start. You know, you have all these blowouts. We've had several different injuries. I mean, not to say that Jamal Murray's injury might be related to the bubble, but I mean, how much do we? It's possible because you know he you put you exert so much in that um off in the playoffs in the bubble. I mean, because he was putting it all out there. Then you turn back around and you have to get ready and gear up for a new season. And his he's been struggling with his knee was already injured mm-hmm. before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's it's a lot of different factors that can go into the season. So it's just di- different stuff to think about. Yeah, and Chris, we've had you know these COVID protocols. I mean. It's gone down to such the minutia of, you know, where players sit, how far apart they sit, where they when they wear a mask, when they don't, uh, you know, teams trying to implement like who you sit with on the plane and on the bus is who we want you to sit by, you know, on the bench. You know, coaches mm-hmm. can only take off their mask to call plays. And that's like we've seen so many weird things that are covid related. And granted, our whole nation, our whole world has been stricken by this coronavirus. Right. Um, how. How have you as a, you know, as someone who covers, you know, multiple different sports, um, being a fan of the NBA the way that you are and obviously seeing different leagues implement all these different protocols? How do you think the NBA has done as far as trying to make the game as enjoyable as possible while also taking safety into con- into consideration here? I think they've done a good job. I mean. They have that that super long. I can't remember how many pages the document is. It's like 130 something pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with all the different <laughs> stipulations, regulations, and rules. But I think they've done a, a good job. We've seen, you know, the like you mentioned on the benches, the spacing, um, just the if you're around somebody, you oh, got to go to protocol. Like you know, there's there's no playing around about it. They'll remove. They'll pull you out the game. Ask Kevin Durant. Yeah, so, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think they've done a good job. Um, of course, they probably, I believe, the, the league feels like they could do better. I mean, that's just human nature. feel like you can do better. But I think they've mm-hmm. done as good as they possibly can when it comes to some of the safety aspects. Because then are, you also have to factor in money. And we still had an all-star game. And we still had this, that, and the third. And, you know, so they've been trying to ride that line. But I will give them the benefit of the doubt and say they've done a good job. Yeah, Austin, we've had, you know, since last season when the NBA halted in in March, you know, a little over a year ago now, um, they were really the first. They were really the first, you know, professional sports league that had to look at this pandemic and say, okay, how do we proceed? You know, the NCAA had basically finished the you know their basketball season. They canceled their March Madness. They weren't continuing with anything, right? right. Um, you know. Football had hadn't yet started. Baseball hadn't yet started. Plus the whole lockout situation that happened with them. Um, so basically, the the NBA were the basically the pioneers to how to conduct themselves as a professional sports league. They came up with this bubble concept, and then all these other leagues were like, "We don't feel comfortable losing about forty percent of our revenue moving forward. So let's see how we can mitigate this while still traveling, while still." playing contact sports. And then the NBA obviously saw that. It's like, hey, we we care about money too, kind of like what Chris just said. So Austin, how have you, you know, one is being a media member too, 
um, and being a fan of the NBA, how have you kind of assessed the way the NBA has handled this whole scenario? Well, I mean, you have to hand it to them. I think in terms of comparing them to other sports leagues and college and the professionals, they're they're by far the have done the best. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I'm sure they've missed the fewest amount of games and had the fewest amount of positive cases. And they're probably testing their players more than just about anybody, Mm -hmm. you know? And I do think that it's been kind of interesting the way it's evolved, especially. So last year I was actually at the first round of the big 10 tournament here in Indianapolis. I was at the game when they announced at halftime that they were canceling the rest of the big 10 tournament because of it. And people like, started throwing trash on the floor and going nuts and losing their minds. And then everything just stopped. The NBA closed down later that night. And it was just like the most surreal thing in the world. And I was always wondering how long it would be before money started to, to cloud, whether, you know, maybe cloud their judgment is wrong, but start to have more of an influence on when we get fans back or when we try to go back to normal. And uh, just another thing, an observation I had about it, the whole thing that I thought was interesting was here in Indianapolis, we actually had a curfew of midnight up until two weeks before the start of the March Madness tournament that just happened to be solely played in (laughs) Indianapolis. Hmm. You know, they really relaxed the restrictions on hotels and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, Hey, three weeks in a row, Indianapolis had the highest, you know, level of, of, filled rooms and hotels in the entire country and it helped i'm sure it made a ton of businesses a ton of money uh, but they lifted our mask mandate here recently and our numbers shot back up to almost a thousand cases in a day like three days later so Jeez. Uh, I, I i don't know i think the nba in a lot of ways has done better than even some government entities have in terms of keeping their players safe and healthy. And we've seen it's not just, you know, a cold. With a lot of guys, it is. With the majority of the people that get it don't even really feel anything much from it. But then you look at Jason Tatum, who's a yeah, young, healthy individual, <laughs> at, professional athlete, and he was that's talking right. about it months later that it was still affecting him. So, you know. He's taking before games. And he never had to do that. Right. right. And just think about, like, even without the – games missed in the testing how many of these players haven't been able to do what they're used to doing in terms of like seeing friends and family and basically when they're on the road they're stuck in a hotel room like they Mm -hmm. from what i gather they don't even really let them go room to room very much with each other Uh, unless unless you know i'm sure they've got like a whole floor or something maybe they can then but it, it would be it would be tough to go a whole season like like this where think about toronto I mean, they haven't been back to Toronto hardly at all, probably, if if at all. Most of those guys they haven't. Any no. of them have family there, you know, next to impossible to go see them when you do have a break. So it, it's been a lot of a lot of changes, a lot of different things. I think as many people said last season's bubble made the playoffs not as, you know, maybe less valuable in terms of who won the ring. I think this season a lot of people you could argue that might be one of the most difficult seasons in recent memory just because it's so new and nobody really knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're talking about that playoff scene. So Chris, I want to ask you the teams that are in contention. Now I just want to rattle off a couple just on the top of my head. And like you, mm-hmm. I, I hope that people believe me when I say I don't have anything, you know, in front of me, but you know, <laughs> the Utah jazz, the Phoenix suns, the New York Knicks, the Charlotte Hornets, the Atlanta Hawks, I mean, all these teams that I just named off the top of my head weren't sniffing, you know, being in the home playoff race. And this season they are. So 
you know, cohesion may have a little bit more to do with that for Utah than some of these other teams. But I mean, I'm kind of wondering with all the injuries, the health and safety protocols, you know, cohesion even included in that, you know, Chris, how, how big of an impact do you think that that is on our current playoff picture? This whole, you know, ramp up of the seasons in between where we've had the least amount of time to prepare for these athletes. And then also these newly implemented health and safety protocols, which we don't even know if it's actually benefiting everything. How much of that is, you know, just PR, you know what I mean? Right. So no. how, how has that affected your, how your judgment of, of the standings? I can definitely see the cohesion being playing a big part. You know, like you mentioned, you know, Coach Snyder has had that thing rolling with Utah for a while now. Um, so those guys, they have a system in place. They're always one of the best defensive teams. Mitchell's been their their top guy when it comes to creating on the offense for the last few seasons. And even a team like Phoenix, they came came along at the end of the season in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Really was you know showed that they're a good team. They were playing together. Everybody, all those young guys took that, that next step. And then you throw in a Chris Paul who just makes life easier for everybody, the kind of leader he is. And now you have them as the two seed currently. So, I mean, what you, like what you said about the cohesion and all that, it does make sense when you look at the standings currently. Yeah, and speaking of standings, this MVP race now in the middle of this strange season it seems to be the last man standing in Nikola Jokic that we have um, being favored. I mean, early in the season, it was a two-man race between Joel Embiid you know, and LeBron James, and then these guys started missing time. And then you started hearing mentions of James Harden, who, in all honesty, was my guy for the longest time until he had to step away. Um, mm-hmm. We saw guys like Steph Curry come out in the picture and then out of it. Now people will kind of want to put him back in there. Uh, Damian Lillard in there, out of there, you know, uh, Jimmy Butler in there, out of there. A lot of other people, Luka Doncic. So, you know, Chris, how, how are you looking at this MVP situation um, right now with everything that we've seen? Is Jokic your guy or do you want to make a case for somebody else? I mean, Jokic is my guy currently. Um, if you would have asked me this a few weeks ago, I would have said Embiid. But, you know, their numbers are very similar, and Jokic has played more games. And I kind of feel like you have to kind of give it to the guy who's played more games. And plus, I mean, Jokic is just – he's been unreal. Like, you just sit down and look at his stats. He's truly been unreal, shooting like 42% from three, 56 from the field, averaging 26, 11, and nine, almost averaging a triple-double. I mean, mm-hmm. come on now. And it's and it's not one of those uh, I'm trying to get a triple-double, triple-doubles. This is just strictly playing basketball, doing what's best for the team. So, yeah. Yeah, and Austin, I know that you feel that way too because early on in the season he was putting up similar numbers, but this team was in the bottom of the conference. And now, prior to this Jamal Murray injury, they looked like they were going to get home court advantage for the playoffs. So, mm-hmm. How has how has this strange season affected your MVP race throughout the year? Well, it's one of the few times I can remember really this late in the season not having it set in stone in my mind who I think should win the MVP. And it's just for the simple fact that of the guys that are have that have had the best years have missed too many games. I mean, in a 72 game season, missing almost 20 games like Embiid has done is a lot. You know, yeah. in an 80 game season, that's still a lot. That's a quarter, you know, fifth of the season. That's that's quite a bit. And it's just 
it's weird. So normally a season like this, I feel like Jokic would be a shoe in at this point, especially if the guys ahead of him got, got injured, but we've seen so many incredible seasons from so many different guys just in different ways. And it, it's really opened up a lot of conversations and questions about what is the criteria for the most valuable player? Is it, you take this guy off this team and they are the worst team in the NBA without him and one of the best with him. If so, then Embiid still kind of gets my vote for that. You know, in terms of net rating, his is off the charts, Mm -hmm. but is it, is it just who's having the best statistical season or is it the best player on the best team? I've heard a lot of people recently calling for Donovan Mitchell to be in the conversation. And what is the best team? Is it the team that's been the healthiest throughout the whole season or, you know, and and, you know, you guys mentioned before the, the teams that made it pretty far in the bubble were the majority of the teams were the, the ones that were struggling at the beginning of this season. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them just didn't look ready. You know, I think the Mavericks in my eyes looked like they were not really in the best shape. A lot of their guys. And that was the reason for their struggles. Denver. I don't know. Denver. I just think it was one of those situations where they were this close in so many of those losses. They had leads going into the fourth quarter of most of those games. And they were right there. It was just a, a, the bounce ball, the ball bounces a different way and they win the game. And I don't know if that's a skill or just luck or bad luck or however you want to call it. But if winning really does matter, then if Denver keeps winning with Murray out, I think it only helps Jokic's case. I think he's putting up a historical season for a center. And it would be kind of interesting to me to hear to for everybody that thought this was going to be the first year in 20 plus years that a center won MVP and it was going to be Embiid. It'd be pretty cool if it ended up being another one. You know, it's still a center, it's just a different one, just to show you how good both of these guys really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both of those gentlemen have been in the MVP conversation to many people throughout the duration of this year. So it's not like if if Jokic gets it that we'd be settling. You know, right. he's bringing something new that we really haven't ever seen in a center uh, that can play inside and outside, right. bringing close to a triple-double. Now, he's not, you know, a defensive stopper, but, you know, he's obviously elite at his position and just in the NBA in in its entirety. So now I want to transition gentlemen from kind of where we're how assessing the strain season to add on to the strain season. Now we're going to throw in a play in tournament again after last season, but we're going to add another team to it. So Chris, what do you you think about this new play in tournament system that um, Adam Silver and company wanted to implement this year? Awesome for us. Sucks if you're a player in the NBA. (laughs) now why do you say that i mean it's just extra wear and tear extra you know quote-unquote unnecessary games and maybe some players eyes you know the old ways we you're in the seventh spot there you go you play the two team number two seed uh now we got to play an extra game before we even get to that point of really being in the playoffs um it could be a possible extra two games you know so yeah it's Great for us. You know, it's going to be fun because there are some interesting teams, some fun teams who aren't necessarily the best teams, which hence that's why they're lower in the standings, but they are fun. So mm-hmm. uh, it'll be fun for us to see it. But yeah, it kind of sucks if you're a player. Yeah. And so, real quick, I just want to let everyone who doesn't know already what the intent for this year's uh, playing tournament is is that the seventh and the eighth seed are going to play each other. The winner of that game is automatically going to be the seventh seed. So in the Western Conference, for example, let's just say that Memphis and Dallas play each other. 
And that and um, Memphis is the eight seed right now. But if they were to beat Dallas, no matter how many games back they are, they beat Dallas in that game. They automatically jump up to be the seventh seed. Then the loser, Dallas, would have to go on and play the winner of the Warriors and Spurs, who are the ninth and the tenth seed in the Western Conference. It works the exact same way in the East. So between the Warriors and the Spurs, let's just say hypothetically that the Warriors defeat the Spurs if they're at that spot. Um, the Spurs, they don't get anything, you know, just thanks for coming out. We'll see you next season. But right. Golden State now has an opportunity to play Dallas. If they defeat them, then they become the eight seed. No, you know, take the fact that they're the ninth seed in, in, in how many games back, throw it out at the window. They could have essentially be the eight seed. And then, Chris, all of a sudden we're looking at a Utah Golden State team, which I think would be. You know, that's what I think everyone secretly, if they haven't said it yet, is rooting for with this new playing system. They want to see Golden State in the playoffs. Doesn't matter if they face Utah or Phoenix. You know, is that kind of what you're looking at with this playing system? Is that what you're kind of forecasting a little bit, if you will? Yeah, I can see that happening. It's just, I, you know, I'm a Warriors fan, and watching the Warriors, it has been stressful this mm-hmm. season. I mean, I feel like Steph is just out there fighting for his life literally earning every bucket he gets because he's he's being double teamed now and at some points of games but um what well, i really kind of want to see new orleans sneak their okay way to being at that 10 spot and being uh, a team that can be in the play in because who doesn't want to see zion i mean zion's been he's been tearing it up this season you know putting up all nba numbers um we'll see you know it'll be fun to see him in the play in and see if they can even win a game or two because if you look at their record i i need to i wish i had the stat they're 25 and 32 they're three games behind san antonio for that 10th they would spot have a winning record if games ended at the 45 minute mark instead of 48 minute mark they have blown all their they've blown countless games <laughs> at the end the last three minutes so that shows they are a good talented team that I think could make some noise if they made the playoffs. They just have to get to that point. So that's fair enough. So Austin, we've talked a, a little bit about this as well. Mm-hmm. What do you like the new playing system? Well, as a you know, as a fan watching the games, obviously any more games that they can add that have real stakes to them, I like. I think it's great. But here's here's a couple things that I don't like about it is one thing that I've always loved about the NBA is more than any other sport, the best teams usually make it to the finals because they're all seven game series. Because in one example, like in the like in March Madness, it's fun, it's exciting, it's great, and it's great for college, but it's not great for always getting the best teams to the Mm -hmm. the biggest games. Because a guy can get hot and go drop 50 on you, and all of a sudden, even though you were five or six games ahead of this team at the end of the year, it doesn't matter now. This guy got hot for one game, so you're done, and they get to go play on. I don't necessarily like that all that much. And then the other thing is just – what, so this year is a great scenario for it because the ninth and the tenth seeds in both conferences are fairly close. But what if this was a season where there were seven really good teams, uh, eighth seed that just you know barely snuck in, and then all the rest of the non-playoff teams were obviously a step below? 
And then a team that just had a terrible year, like Washington last year, made it into the bubble. What if they had somehow gotten lucky and won a few games? You know, at least they would have had to win a bunch of games to get into it there. But if a, a team that just got, gets a one-game opportunity to beat another team that spent all year proving that they deserved to be in the playoffs more than them, and then they somehow on a fluke lose this one game, I, I don't know if that's great either in terms of just overall how I would feel about it. I think a 70 or 80 game season is plenty to tell who the best teams are. And I don't know. I like the playing tournament. I think it's exciting, but I see why people would be upset about it. Well, I mean, to be fair though, Austin, they do have, they have a two game opportunity. So I think that does kind of take the flukiness out of it a little bit, but I like it on the aspect of a team that's maybe been riddled by injuries or the health and safety protocols. And that has affected their standings. They now have a chance to kind of, prove themselves up a little bit i mean the pacers started this season out hot dude and now they're the ninth seed in the eastern conference i mean yeah. you can't really rule out that team because they have a lot of really good players on that squad they're a deep team i think that they're missing nate mcmillan but you know that's just me um, well you know i i can't disagree with you there Stephen, for sure but also you know right about this time of year last year is when tj warren well no, it wasn't. Uh, MJ Warren. Whenever it was in the bubble, <laughs> right before the playoffs and in the bubble, TJ Warren just exploded for them. And, uh, you know, obviously they're they're missing him this year for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you really look at it, Malcolm Brogdon and, and Sabonis are great players, but are they going to be good enough to lead a team to, you know, winning a playoff series against – you know, especially now that they're down towards the bottom half. They're, they're going to be a tough opponent regardless. If it's against the Hornets, maybe. Yeah, yeah, right. They could win the play-in game, but I mean, if, if they're going up against Milwaukee, oh, they're or, going against Philly. You know, it's or a Philly or chicken alert. I mean, at full point. strength, it'd be interesting. They're, you they're know, not going to do that now since Nate's gone. And the whole Karis Levert. No, you're you're right, Chris. <laughs> with Nate gone, they don't have yeah. that. You know that that heart at coach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know they don't win as many of those close down the stretch games as they did with with Nate McMillan. He's kind of always been that you know just firm hand kind of just keep the ship aimed the right direction keep everybody going the same way you know what i mean Mm -hmm. he's always kind of held it together in those in those real close games and i think this year more than ever i've seen the pacers this pacers team kind of let lead lead slip and and not take the most of their opportunities to win close games so yeah you're missing that for sure nate bjorkren (laughs) anyway shout out to um NBA radio. I got that from listening to them on Sirius XM. I like uh, right. Oh man, that was funny. <laughs> Rick Camel and Nate Bjorkren. All right, anyway, <laughs> we'll um we'll proceed with the last segment of the show, Chris. And I just want to again thank everyone for tuning in right now to the Nothing But Net Channel on Dash Radio. So, Chris, we're gonna the last segment that we have, and just to just to let you know, we're kind of up against it. We may not be able to get all of our comments in. If you're cool, gotcha. what I'd like to do is if we can't close it out during the radio segment. We'll just finish it up on our podcast if that's cool with you. Sounds good. All right. So I've got some stuff I want to ask you about what you've been up to anyway. So, okay, great. (laughs) All right. So, um, we got about what 10 minutes left here on the show. So, Chris, I want to ask you did you get a chance to look at ESPN's 25 players under the age of 25? Yes, I did. I did. And what did you think of it? Uh, I didn't agree with the list. Um, they, there's definitely some things I would change about it. Um, I think they 
they, they kind of have the right idea since they're talking about projecting, but that, that's kind of to that can that can try to save your tail for you know putting somebody way higher than they should be right now. But um, yeah, I didn't agree with the list. There there is definitely some better list out there than that one. Well, speaking of better lists out there, um, our president. I like Oh, you like my list. I was actually going to plug Chris LeBron's. He did a potential base list, and I got a couple bones to pick with him on that one. He had my man Jalen Brown way too low on that list, and he had my <laughs> man Jason Tatum way too low. I know I sound like a Celtics fan. I'm honestly not. I just love those two guys, Like, and I love Marcus Smart. Maybe I am a Celtics fan. I don't know. But, I love the um, Celtics fan as well. I, I, I mean, they just have so many guys that I love to watch, man. It's just kind of happened by chance. You know, I, I didn't pick them. But, um, Chris, I'm going to run you down the list of, of my guys. And I took potential and stuff like that into consideration. My biggest thing with ESPN was that it felt like they were saying at the age of 25, your your potential just evaporates. You know right. what I mean? Like, As look at Julius Randle didn't just become an all-star player. <laughs> right. Or Jimmy Butler's last season in the playoffs just becoming an outstanding playmaker out of nowhere. Zach Levine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Levine. Sorry. Zach Levine. You I'm always going to say Levine, man. I know. It's, um, it's a running joke here on the show, but so, people have called you out on it. It's just so. an Indiana thing that we say, things, <laughs> we say things a weird way compared to the rest of the country, I think. Like almost Canadian. So, all right. <laughs> all right, Chris, I'm going to run through this list. So, number one, I got Luka Doncic. I don't really think that there's really much anything that you need to say at this point. I think it's Luka Doncic, and then you can make an argument for another couple guys. Mm-hmm. I have Jason Tatum second. I don't know how you feel about that. I like it. Okay. I do. All right. I got Zion Williamson third. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Jalen Brown fourth. Um now, when I was doing my list, this one felt a, a little high even to me, but I looked at the progression that he showed this season and the fact that his defense didn't go away with the, you know, taking responsibility of being that offensive engine. What do you think about Jalen Brown being fourth? I love it. I love it. Um, I remember when he signed his contract with the Celtics, I was like, the Celtics just got him for the low. Like this, mm-hmm. is a, this is a great investment because he's he was showing to me the same uh, trajectory as Paul George. And yep. that's what we're seeing right now with his two way play. So, yeah, I love it. OK, Devin Booker, fifth. I like that as well. Donovan Mitchell, sixth. I have. Tr- I, OK, go I, ahead. I, I, let me look at I have I have Mitch there, but I'm kind of lower on Mitchell a little bit than I think most people. Now, why is that? I don't know. I'm just I'm not sold if his play style is gonna be able to continue. Like I think if he goes elsewhere, I don't think he's gonna have the same impact that he has right now currently playing with Utah. That's okay. what I'm afraid of. I think he's playing in a good situation. You know, everybody wants him to have, you know, probably to go elsewhere because you know he's the main guy in Utah. But I think that playing under Snyder and that system they have, especially defensively allows him to be the player he is offensively, be as free to try to create and score in the ways that he does. I don't know if it's going to translate as well to winning if he goes elsewhere. So that's why I say that. Okay. All right. No, I have to change my list. All right. So Trey Young, uh, number seven, he was like 16th, I think, on ESPN's list. How how do you feel about Trey Young? Super disrespectful, but I do like Trey Young. Um, I'm personally an SGA guy, 
So I like SGA too. I personally have SGA higher than Trey Young. Even I ain't though, mad at you. Even at though Atlanta success, is having more success, um, when you look at SGA season, he's doing he has higher numbers and he's even more efficient with a crazy load on him. Look at the, he look at the guys he's playing with. These are a bunch of young guys, unproven guys. I just say they're not talented, but they're super young, super raw players, and he's even more efficient this season than what he was last season playing alongside Chris Paul. So that's why I have SGA above Trey Young. I, I ain't mad at that at all. Austin, you and I both love SGA. Right. You know, <laughs> SGA is somebody that, you know, every time something gets thrown at him, it seems like he just rolls with the punches and keeps on putting up numbers and, and leading his team. You know, everybody said, to, oh, look, now Chris Paul's gone. This team's going to tank no matter what. And they, they're doing their best effort. They made their best effort to, to – to put out a tank-worthy team out there, but just, yeah, you know, Shea's kind of kind of defying that. Early on, they were winning too many you games. Know, I, don't, I don't think I could name more than about six guys on that roster. I mean, when you got a lineup that consists of like SGA, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, Pokashevsky, Moses Moses Brown has been killing it. Yes, mm-hmm. another great investment. OKC, they signed him for the low. Yep, same thing what they did with Lou Dort. Very value, like very team-friendly contracts. I ain't mad at that at all. It's like all right, Moneyball. So, yes, exactly, just like Moneyball. Um, at number eight, I got Bam out of bio. How do you feel about Bam being eight? I love Bam, yes. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good spot for him. All right, Brandon Ingram, number nine. I'm a little lower on B.I. Okay, now why is that? It's, sometimes he just, he's a... Uh, a little too inefficient for me at times. But also, I mean, the talent is there. Maybe mm-hmm. it's probably some coaching, not getting him in positions to be the best B.I. he can be. But um, I, I'm not as big on him or even maybe the pairing with Zion. I want to see how they kind of can get that chemistry working because sometimes it just isn't there. Yeah. And I'm kind of – I kind of got a developing, like, I'm not like trying to not like Zion, but I can see like down the road how he, people may not be wanting to flock to go play with him. You know what I mean? Because like, I'm not saying he can't change, but like early on, it feels like balls in Zion's hand and he's near the basket. Like, and he's doing a really good job. I just don't know how many people would want to rush to, you know, dump the ball off to Zion and let him go to work in the paint, you know? True. I mean, him and Giannis are like the the best finishers in the league when it comes mm-hmm. to scoring in the in the paint. So uh, I ain't trying to kick it out either if I'm Zion. So um, y'all, you'll get over it when we get this easy too. <laughs> there you go. There you go. When when I'm scoring, you know, seventy percent from the field, right, Austin? When he's right, he's you know, your you guy. can't really knock Zion for anything that he's done, but it, I do get your point. You know, he is sometimes a little bit of a black hole, but rightfully so a lot of times. Yeah, it, like I said, I can't really like can't argue what he's doing, but I could also see where like not a lot of other players would be looking to um add him on. Flocking just wanted to go play alongside him. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. So um I'm gonna break your heart a little bit, Chris. I got I got well, he's our guy. Like I, we all love SGA. Yeah, I got him tenth. I, it's just, fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. All right, yeah, we can live okay. with that. Um Ben Simmons, number eleven. That hurt. That hurt? Too high, too low? Too low for me. Too low. I'm a Ben Simmons guy, but yes. Okay. One of my only gripes with your whole list. So who do you put him over on this list then? Uh, I would have Ben over Trey, Bam, 
and low-key SGA. Uh, I have him at least seventh. Seventh? Okay. I'd probably I, put I him at six or seven. Mitchell, but that's that's just my preference. So what what I what took what I took into consideration this list before we close out for the for the radio, um, he's it's really weird because I do like Ben Simmons a lot, and I'm looking at what he's doing this season on this team. Yep, he's second best. He he's my second guy in defensive player of the year this season. Mm-hmm. But man, like offensively, I feel like he could be taking on a bigger role and responsibility. Like he's their third option offensively right now. And when I look at a guy like SGA, he could be your first option. When I look at a guy like Brandon Ingram, he could be your first option. Even Bam Adebayo, he just hit a game-winning shot today. As I'm recording this, he could be your first option. Trey Young has been Atlanta's first option. And as, as I keep going up the list, like, a lot of these guys have shown that they can be that number one option on the offensive end. And Ben Simmons, even putting potential into it, I don't know if he's going to be that number one guy for me, which is why I had him where I do, if that makes sense. I respect that. I mean, he had, and Ben hasn't shown he could be that first option consistently. Like mm-hmm. We saw a game earlier this season where he had 40. When yeah, he, when he chose, when he put that mindset on, I'm gonna go get to the bucket and I'm gonna score. I, I I'll make it happen. But and that's what I think it is. I think it's a mindset thing, Chris. I think so too. I think so too. I really want him to just turn that switch on and and be that guy. But you know, I'll I'll make it happen next Christmas. Don't worry. I already did it with the beat <laughs> this year. So <laughs> Austin's Christmas lists are um are running true. But hey, guys, um, real quick. We're going to close out for the radio program. If you want to hear our continued discussion, please go look up the Break in the Game podcast anywhere podcasts are available. And we'll and we'll set through the rest of this list. But, Chris, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining us here on Break in the Game on the Nothing But Net channel right. on Dash Radio. Yeah, just let the folks know where they can find you, man. Y'all can find me on Twitter at Chris underscore Bolton underscore 12 and on Instagram at Chris dot Bolton underscore uh, be sure to check out the pod and check up with Chris Bolton. Going to have some more content coming up. Of course, you know, we're getting to the nitty gritty of the NBA season. NBA draft to be here before we know it. So, yes, be sure to check out the podcast. We got you covered. There we go. And as for Austin and I, you can look up BTG NBA pod, face, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on there. Um, as for the, our continued work that we're going to share with you guys, you're going to have to catch that on the podcast. So, Austin, say make sure and nice tune in. Make sure and tune in because we've got a lot more to go through on this list. We've got to tell you guys what we have in the works. You know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to convince Stephen that he's wrong about Ben Simmons. So you don't want to miss that. <laughs> All right, so we'll do that. But before we let y'all go, I just want to remind everyone: get 20% off and free shipping with code BTG at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. And use code BTG, unlock your confidence, and as always, use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So for our awesome guest, Chris Bolton, for Austin and myself, the Break in the Game show for the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, go to offtheballnetwork.com for all of your sports needs. We have been Breaking the Game. We'll catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody. Have a good one. All right, so now we can continue on with the podcast version of Breaking the Game. And we are here with Chris Bolton, and we are stepping through our top 25 or my top 25 um, on offtheballnetwork.com. Be sure to please go check that out. And Austin, you were saying that you're going to try to convince me that Ben Simmons 
that my viewpoint on him is wrong? Well, just that he's too low on your list. Okay. I, I agree with everything that Chris said, but my thing is the two things that really stick out is you said he didn't, he's not shown that he's that number one offensive option. Well, none of the guys on this list ahead of him have a teammate that's even close to as good as Joel Embiid is on offense. So he hasn't ever really had to. That being said, I think if you gave him 20, 25 shots a night, like some of these guys take, he'd be able to do pretty damn darn well for himself with those. That many attempts. Also, He's one of the few guys on this list. I feel like if he made it a point, he could lead your team in assists if he wanted to. He could lead your team in rebounds. He could lead your team in in points. I think he could lead your team in steals. You know, I think he's one of those guys that if he actually just focused on one aspect of his game, like some guys do, it seems like, that he could dominate any one of many statistical categories, whereas a lot of these guys – you know, other than maybe Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, a couple of them are two-way players for sure. But a lot of these guys ahead of him, I think, are just big-time scorers more than anything. So that was that's my only thinking on it is I just feel like he can affect the game in so many different ways. Yeah, and I'm not mad at that. I, I actually agree with that. But when I look at, like I said, the big, for anyone who didn't listen uh, on the Nothing But That channel on Dash Radio – uh, can he can he can he be your number one guy though? Like, do you do you feel? You know, that that's way? a good point. I don't think they're going to win a lot of games with him as your leading scorer. Not as many as you, they will. And he's he's the third option on offense by design now because right. it's made them their offense just run a lot smoother. It's made everything flow a lot better. He can focus on defense. He can focus on setting guys up. You know, the the other team doesn't know that half the time coming down now, you just pack the lane because he's just going to drive to the rim, you know, because that's what a lot of their offense looked like for a long time. Yeah. And, and Chris, I you know, he – go ahead. I was going to say, I think there's a world where if he's in a system similar to Milwaukee, he could be 90% of what Giannis is. I mean, he could be a potential MVP type of player in a system designed around him you know, having spacing and him being the option, trying to create whether it's for himself or for others. So uh, we haven't seen the best out of Ben Simmons yet, and he's still been a multi-time all-star player. Mm-hmm. So, And he's a defensive – he's going to be an all-NBA level defender too this season, you know, rightfully right. getting that recognition that I felt that he should be getting for at least two seasons now, right? So um, mm-hmm. we're going to step down to number 12 now. And even in my description for this player, I did write that I got about six or seven guys in this range from like 12 to 17 that that you could argue any sort of way. And I re- really wouldn't be mad at it. But this is just how I digest the game and how I look at it. So um, at number 12, Chris, I have De'Aaron Fox. How are you feeling about De'Aaron Fox being 12? I like that. I mean, I love Fox. You know, if, you, if you're somebody who loves watching basketball, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't enjoy watching De'Aaron Fox. Uh, he's just a, a great player. And it's not his fault, Sacramento. I was going to say, just great. imagine if he played for a real NBA franchise. <laughs> you know, what, what he possibly like could he's be literally doing. doing what he's doing against all eyes. Sacramento has been a black hole for NBA talent. So uh, that should make you love Fox even more. Yeah, I mean, and he's doing what he's doing despite the fact that Luke Walton is trying to get out of the NBA and go well, coach Arizona is what I think. Yeah. So. We say it all the time. A lot of guys' development is determined by where they go in the draft and where the, who they play for. And when you see a guy like De'Aaron Fox develop into this type of player anyway, despite all of Sacramento's best efforts to not be you know, competitive year in and year out, he, it's, I think he's something special for sure. 
Yeah. So, all right. So here, Chris, here, Chris, I got 13th have John Morant and I wrote in my statement on him on off the ball network.com. I'm not even necessarily the death that I have him this low. I just don't really have anything tangible that I could point to except a couple highlight real plays and say he should be higher than X player on my list. I'm not mad at you one bit. <clears throat> um, I think I might have him a little lower. Okay. I, and it's the shot creation for three-point shooting off his handle for me. You know, he's he, he's a great slasher. He's a great passer. But there's guys like, I mean, I would have LaMelo above him. I, I, I just, I, I've seen LaMelo be able to be that kind of shooter, and we see the impact he has on, uh, he's had with the Hornets. But projecting forward, I see LaMelo being an even better um, scorer and shot creator than uh, what Jaw's going to be. They have similar passing abilities. Uh, of course, I give LaMelo the edge even in that, but um, and I give LaMelo the edge as a defender. He's an underrated defender. He gets steals in the passing lanes. He knows how to use his body. So um, I'm not mad that you having him kind of lower. I, I would Personally, I'm having LaMelo above Ja. Okay, fair enough. So Austin... I feel like Ja, like I can't describe it as the intangibles. I feel like Ja's got stuff in his game. Do you think that there's a a possibility though that he explodes up upward in this list? Was that for me? Yeah, for you. Sorry, it cut out for a second. No, uh, okay. Yeah, you know, I think Ja Morant's got like just these in, innate leadership qualities that he's shown for sure. You know, I I think there's just he the way he carries himself, the way he used, just the way he looks watching him. He's got kind of like that it factor that you can't really describe, but there's something about him that ever you just watch him and you know this guy's, you know, doing what he was meant to do. But at the same time, like his numbers have changed almost zero from last year's this year. <laughs> right. You usually see guys make a pretty significant leap from year one to year two. Not, I mean, obviously not always, but most mm-hmm. guys that are going to be stars that this is when they start to figure it out. And his numbers are like identical from last year. I mean, he's the exact same player. And it probably a lot of that to do is to do with the shortened off season. And the fact that he did have such a good rookie season. I mean, how much better do you want the guy to get all of a sudden? But mm-hmm. you know, I, I I'm fine with him being right here, but I, at the same time, like I, I do think LaMelo potential wise, like Chris said, could end up higher than him. And but at the same time, Jaw's got the potential too, where I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years he's in the top five on this list. You know, so there's a lot of a lot of ways it could go. But you know, right now I think it's a pretty good spot for him. Okay, fair enough. And then at 14 and 15, I have a pair of teammates. I have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter. Chris, how do you feel about that? I like that too. <clears throat> um me personally, even though Jamal is probably the better player right now. Mm-hmm. I think I would put uh I think I would have Michael Porter above Jamal. Just when you have those kind of wings who can create the type of talent Michael Porter Jr. is. He was if he didn't have the injuries coming out of school, he would have been a top three pick. He was discussed as number one guy in his class. So when you combine all that with his six ten frame and everything he can do as that big body, and we you see the top of your list is uh you have Luca, Jason mm-hmm. Tatum, um Jalen Brown is up there. These are big long forwards who can create he has the potential to be probably somebody in a few years. I'm like, dang, why do we have MPJ that low? He, <laughs> probably, 
he could be someone who could be even higher and, and be one of the top players in the NBA here in a few seasons. Yeah, but un- right he'd have to be like Luka level on offense, in my opinion, because the guys on the wings that I have above him, pretty good defenders too. And MPJ is uh, that's true. A little and bit of a revolving door on that end. He's growing though. Like, yeah, he really is. He's improving, which is a positive. Because when you yeah. watched him last year, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy is <laughs> clueless on defense. Correct. <laughs> it's getting better. Yeah, absolutely. So, um. The man of the hour on the list, I had LaMelo Ball 16. Chris, it sounds like you aren't too thrilled that I have him here. Um, but real quick, <laughs> Austin, what, how do you feel about LaMelo Ball being 16 on the list? I think it makes sense to me. I, I might – if I feel like the whole point of doing a 25 under 25 list is it's going to be fairly potential-based. So I would probably – factor in potential maybe a little bit more than you did from what i'm seeing yeah and so 15 and 16 i would have both both a little bit higher but not much but i get why you put him there i just i i loved what i saw from Lamelo until he got injured i think he's exactly what everybody want, wanted lonzo to be and and maybe even more you know he's already shown that the worries about his shot aren't really is something to be as worried about as people thought and the other thing that even I am guilty of this, of talking about how we thought he may not be, you know, ready mentally or, or mature enough. Why did we ever think that? Be- <laughs> All he's ever bad. said since he was like nine years old is he wanted to be an NBA player. And he did everything he could in his power to get to this point. He never, ever let anything make him stray off of his goal of getting to the NBA. And you know, at the very least, you've got a guy that out that's going to go out there every night that he's playing and he wants to be there and there's nothing else he'd rather be doing. And he's been saying it in front of millions of people his whole life. So, you know, looking back at it, I think it was kind of silly of me to think for a second that he wouldn't be ready for this. So I, I like where you have him on, on this list. I just, Michael Porter Jr. is my big thing. I think he could be the MVP in a few years, possibly. I think he's got, I think the sky's the limit potential wise for him. All right. So, um, Chris, before I give it to you, one thing that I did take into consideration that if you do want to get potential base with these players, something that crept into mind, and you can just tell me if I'm off base for thinking this, mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, okay, if I'm taking the short sample size that I have with, with LaMelo Ball and I'm projecting it out, am I also taking the injuries along with him? Is this going to be something that we see? If if I'm projecting right, I, have, I feel like I That's have fair. to project everything. Mm-hmm. Do you think that projecting injuries is something that people are just kind of like wanting to stay away from. I don't know if you can necessarily project injuries, but it's fair to take in consideration what has occurred already in someone's mm-hmm. injury history and, and even what kind of injury, the circumstances behind the injury, you know? So yeah, um, it's fair to have that in mind. I'm not going to knock someone if they do include that because I mean, we've seen, we've seen it before. It's just like, you know, if we were doing this list in 2010, 2011, and including Derrick Rose, a young Derrick Rose, um, and we've seen how his career has panned out because of injuries. So, mm-hmm. so it isn't, I'm not going to knock somebody for uh, thinking like that. Yeah. And, and that's exactly why I have him where I, where I do. Um, and I also wanted to kind of reward some of the guys that I've actually seen do more than just a couple months of professional basketball. Mm-hmm. But, um, at 17, I got your boy here, Austin, Demontis Sabonis. Chris, how do you feel about Sabonis being 17? I love Sabonis. Um, I mean, he's he's a, he's a hooper. He's a baller. He's just, you know, he's out there in Indiana. So, of course, 
not everybody's going to be aboard uh, on the Sabonis train because they don't know about Indiana uh, basketball. But yeah, Sabonis is a baller. Oh, trust me, Chris. Play. There's there's more than enough fans in Indianapolis that aren't on the Sabonis train anyway. <laughs> oh, it drives me nuts. How many people complain about this guy? It's like, are you kidding me? He averages a double double. He's you know always plays Six with assists so much effort. Yeah. yeah grown every year from year to year so much there's no knock in his game he's at least good at everything you know he might not be spectacular at one thing but he's at, he's at least good at everything offensively right. and defensively so yeah i mean you got to appreciate love guys like that and well, like you said Austin, he's getting better every year i don't know the one thing that i think he is he might be reaching it but if this is his ceiling it's an all-star right. player right even <laughs> if he doesn't get any better he's Already made it pretty, pretty, done pretty well for himself. I think the one thing you could say that he is elite at is his his footwork and his fundamentals. Because like you just see him get the ball, you know, near the rim, and he's he's got the ability to get by and score on just about anybody that defends him, right. and and that's not based on athleticism or speed. He that's is definitely sure. our Venus Sabonis' son. Correct. <laughs> yeah. I he I see a lot of his dad's game in him, you know, for sure. Especially you know, the passing. Playmaking like, ability. The the passing is what I think at his position he's the lead at, right? He just so didn't get the freakish size that his dad had. Good lord, that dude. Yeah, I mean <laughs> if only, right? If only he was like seven three, three hundred right. pounds that could move like a gazelle in his prime. Thanks. Right. <laughs> All right. So here's where I deviate from ESPN's list. Um, for the first time on my list, Chris, mm-hmm. I have OG Ananobi at 18. How are you feeling about OG being on the list? And do you think I have him too high, too low? How are you feeling about OG? I like him on the list because I'm an OG guy. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just we're almost at that point. He's going to break through soon. It's coming. Mm-hmm. I, I love OG. But I, I think feel it's it. a little too high. Uh, okay. There's another young wing that I would put above OG who's blossoming, and that's Mikael Bridges. Okay, huh. that's a, that's who I would put up in there. I like Mikael Bridges a lot. I think, you know, there's there's still more to his game that he's developing. He's continuing to develop that uh, shot creation as a scorer himself. You know, giving the ball in an ISO situation, he's improving in that. But he's a knockdown shooter, a great defender, already a great defender. He's probably going to be an All NBA defender several times in his career. Uh, I love Bridges. I love Mikael Bridges. So yeah. I mean, that's what you're talking about with Mikhail Bridges. I feel like you just, you know, highlight all that control C and then control P for for OG Ananobi. Because, I mean, guys right now averaging 15 points a game. He's shooting 40% from deep. And he also is going to be an all NBA level defender for years to come. Hit one of the most clutch baskets in the bubble last season. Um, with ridiculous. with like he barely had time to even touch the ball before he sank it and just broke Boston's heart that game. Right. Uh, I think that he and what I like about him and we're seeing a little bit of it in Phoenix, but right now to me, Toronto or Tampa, whichever you prefer, um, they develop their talent very well. And I think OG, they're kind of grooming him along the same kind of progression as what we've seen with like a Jimmy Butler a Kawhi Leonard. I'm not saying that he's going to be that level, which is why I have him at mm-hmm. 18. Mm-hmm. But I think that he could very well be, you know, a step or two down from that. And I think that that's where, if you look at his progression, I think that's where he's at. I think he's right at, 
He's I think he's about to become the second or maybe even the best player on this Toronto team within the next season or two. No, I can definitely see that. I mean, that's that's how it was with Kawhi. I think it was it took like four years of mm-hmm. him being, you know, growing, continuing to get better. He's all, came in as an elite defender, but grooming his game, and then all of a sudden, Kawhi was just out here, two dribble pull up buckets, you know, mm-hmm. just into his spots and knocking down shots consistently. OG definitely he's he's getting close to being that player. So we'll see. I like it though. I do like it. Huge, and he had to take a back seat behind Kawhi. Personally, I'm a big <laughs> fan of OG. I, you know, he went to IU, so anybody mm-hmm. that went to IU has a soft spot in my heart. But I, you know, I watched him at IU get better every year and at everything, everything that coming into the next year, everything that you said you wanted to see him get better at, he got better at. And I do think he has the potential to be the number one guy on that Toronto team, you know, here in the next year or two. I also kind of feel like, you know, he may end up being what they wanted Pascal Siakam to be. And, you know, at some point, if 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 that's starting to get to where, you know, Pascal being there is kind of stunting the growth of Ananobi, do they, if they have to pick between those two guys, I mean, I, I think most people are pretty sure that Siakam's not going to be the number one guy on a championship level team anytime soon mm-hmm. after what we've seen when he's had the, the opportunity. So it, it's going to be an interesting situation. I just think he's got great size and athleticism and uh, I, I like you. I like the fact that you put him on your list, even though ESPN for some reason left him off. I mean, they don't talk about him on their morning talks anyway. Um. Right. <laughs> Toronto's kind of. I, I wanted to mention this too. I almost forgot. This sure. is almost a lost season for Toronto. I mean, they they you don't get the feeling like they they didn't want to blow up their team, obviously, and trade away a bunch of guys for good reason. So obviously, mm-hmm. they think they've got something. But that didn't seem like they were going to make any significant moves to try to win right now. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't have home a home a place to play at home. They don't get to mm-hmm. go home. You know, they're stuck in Tampa, Florida, which, by all accounts, is not a very great you know professional sports city. At, at least, you know, the Tampa Bay <laughs> Rays are worst in attendance like all time. So yeah, yeah. But they're killing it, and the Buccaneers just won a Super Bowl. But um, yeah. but um, Buccaneers I. At 19, I have Tyrese Halliburton. Chris, what were your thoughts on on Halliburton coming into the draft? Coming into the draft, it was very situational dependent. I, mm-hmm. I liked I liked his game. I had some knocks on him, um, but like you know, kind of trying to see if the shot's really going to translate because it, it is funky. It's a funky shot. Yeah, it goes in. Hey, Sean Marion, it's translating. Yeah. But um, when he got paired up with Fox, again, I, I was like, that's that's beautiful because he's a great – he's like – he's a, a better version of Lonzo. Okay. When it comes to that that guard who can make all those passes, the right, the right extra pass, a very smart player, a smart defender, but um, also has that ability to create and get to the rack and make some layups. And I – and this is a more consistent shooter than Lonzo. Lonzo's come along of late with his shooting. It's improved. But I still kind of like uh, Halle Bird more as a shooter than Lonzo. Um, so he's sim- that similar glue guy. But still, I think uh, can, he even has another level I think Halliburton can tap into. I don't think this is the best version of him yet. Oh, no. No, you know what I see when I see um, Halliburton? see a little bit of SGA in this game. I see a little bit of that old man game where the game happens around him. Austin, how are you feeling about Tyrese here? 
I, I, you know how I feel about him. I love the guy. I think we were smitten with him in the draft. Like I, I had him fourth. I almost, I almost put him over Lamelo. Right. Almost, right. And I think at the beginning of this season, if you had made me make a list of the top, you know, which guys in this draft are going to be the best five years down the road, he might have been number one or two. Possibly. I can't believe he fell as far as he did, man. And I expected him to go very, fairly high as well. Just, just listen I'm to the guy talk. Phoenix he, so bad. He just gets it. Like he's another guy that's stuck in a, in Sacramento and he's not in a starting role yet. And we've already seen the potential of what he could be. And I, I like the SGA comp, you know, he, he doesn't predicate his entire game on scoring, which SGA never really did either. But I think given a, a situation like SGA is in where who else is going to score, I think he very well could. I think watching him pre-draft, he was one of the guys that maybe to me I felt like got hurt the most by not having an NCAA tournament and having this extended period of time of True. guys just picking apart their games because his skills to me are the skills that are super important in the NBA, you know, leadership, shooting ability, ball handling, you know, yeah. the ability to come in and run an offense more player. than anything. He knows who the he culture is. Guy. He knows who he is for sure. He, he he even said it in the first time I ever heard him talk. You know, a couple years ago, we had a couple potential NBA draftees on our team in, at, at Iowa State. So I didn't need to score the ball as much. So I, I found my role and fit in. And now this year I had to score more, so I did. I, I love guys like that. I think that's Marcus Smart to a T right there. I think Marcus Smart is the perfect example of, of that type of player. And I think every team wants a guy like that. And I just think Halliburton's got – everything you'd want in a lead guard for sure. Fair enough. All right. So rolling on down the list at 21 or 20 and 21, I got a pair of Atlanta Hawks here, Chris. I have John Collins at 20 and then a man who didn't make ESPN's list, Deandre Hunter at 21. What do you think about that? I like those picks. I like those picks. Uh, especially, you know, with Hunter Hunter's an interesting player. Cause he really was filling it up before the injury. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was making the leap. And so um, if he comes, if he gets back to being that same player and even you know, takes it up a, a couple notches, he's another one of those wings where we might be like, wow, I can understand why we have him low. But in a, maybe three or four years from now, we're going to be like, man, uh, I don't know why people are sleeping on Hunter. And because he has shown that he can he can be a dominant wing like he he's a great another great two way guy like mm-hmm. that frame he has coming out of Virginia. He knows how to play defense. Um, he's someone that I expect to be an all-NBA caliber of uh, defender um, moving forward the next five years. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to – and I put here on my description or my little you know dissertation about him at the end, I ended it with this, and I think you'll appreciate this quote here, Chris. It says, not bad for a player that was considered too old among other defend, uh, under other players in his draft <laughs> class, right? Right, no, for real. <laughs> I hate that. If you're if you're not 18, yeah, I mean it's a wrap. I don't know why. How is it a lottery. bad thing that you have two or three years of high level college coaching experience under your belt? You know what I mean. You've been coached by a college coach versus just an AAU program, basically up to this point. Yeah, like Michael Porter Jr. is a perfect example. Michael Porter Jr. is not good at defense, but not because he doesn't want to be good at defense, not because he doesn't try. Sometimes it looks like there's times where it takes plays off. But do you think (laughs) up until like the last two seasons, anyone's ever taught him really how to play defense? 
and he, he suffered he a back injury. Literally, you are. He, he just this, gave him the ball and said, "Go score thirty points tonight." In high school, that's mm-hmm. that's purely what he was taught: get buckets. And we know how high yep. school ball is. If exactly. You're a guy averaging 35, 30 points a game, you're not playing defense. You're you are not relied upon as the sole defender. We're trying to make sure you have energy to go get us buckets right. to go win us the game. So yeah. Right. I, I wish that we could have seen what a full year in college for him would have looked like just because, I, I, you know, especially on that Missouri team, like he could have really put up some serious numbers. But just, you know, he had that back injury, had microfracture surgery, didn't he? Yeah, so Austin, real quick, we're talking about DeAndre Hunter, though. We already yeah, talked sorry. about we already <laughs> talked, We already talked about your boy. Right. No, DeAndre Hunter, I like to have him on this list, too. I don't think I was going to mention one thing I did want to say is, like, where do you rank him in terms of options on this team if they're all healthy? Is he, I mean, if is they're he all healthy? Their, is he even really their third option on offense right now? Because And look at the numbers he's putting up. Yeah, I think right now he might be third, but I, I mean, I have no reason to doubt that he could easily be the second. Exactly. I mean, they've got Trey Young, they've got John Collins, Gallinari there now. You know, Herder, McDonavich. They've got plenty of guys Reddish. that can put up numbers and score the ball. And he's still, you know, 16 points a game is nothing to, to you know, laugh at at all. I think. 50% from the floor, 36% from deep, 88, 87% from the line. And that's the thing about these, this type of list, especially right now in the NBA. You, you could pick all 25 of these guys and say in three or four years they're going to make an all-NBA team, and I wouldn't think you were crazy for any one of them. You know, uh, it, mm-hmm. it could be all of them. So sounding like it's low at 21, okay, maybe for, out of 25 that's a little low, but it's no, we're not saying anybody on this list isn't going to be a star. I mean, they, point, they've all got so much potential. Like, you know, these are these are the guys who haven't just solidified themselves for sure right. to be in that good point. portion of the list. So, yeah, yeah don't, they, don't let me talk anymore about Michael Porter Jr. I'll never stop. <laughs> I know I, that's why I cut you off. Thank you. All right, so so Chris at twenty two, I have DeAndre Ayton. How are you feeling about Ayton being twenty second on the list? I think that's a, a solid place for him. I have no complaints there. I mean, we're talking about former number one pick, a guy who clearly has the talent. He's continuing to improve. Uh, he's playing well with a, a a great point guard playing. You know, saying that being that role guy, he's improved year after year defensively. That was a knock on him coming out. Was you know, was he going to be able to defend on the NBA? And he's gotten better when it comes to switching onto guards using his mm-hmm. length. So, um, yeah, I, I like Aiden there. I mean, because his offense speaks for itself. Yeah, and my thing was Austin on this list is that in, in the last sentence or the second to last sentence I have it says we'll see if that production will increase as we're sure his role will when CP3 is no longer making his life easier. You know how much how much of that CP3 effect are we seeing with Aiton? I, I I think there's obviously some effect there. I mean, I think no matter who you are playing with. Uh, you know, or all timer at point guard that everybody knows is one of the best at getting guys the ball in good spots is going to make a difference. But his numbers really haven't changed a whole lot. They've actually, gone down. Yeah, this they first have career averages. Down. Yeah, but we need to make sure there's not any Phoenix Suns fans listening to us say anything good about him right now because they won't be they won't listen to us ever again. They think no. this guy. They must think this guy needs to go twenty for twenty with eighteen blocks every game. <laughs> soft and can't play, and they need to trade him. Like they they need to understand that they're not looking for Aiton to be their offense right Right. now. Exactly. And I think the only knock you can ever really say so far on DeAndre Aiton is the fact that he was in the same draft as Luka Doncic and Trey Young and went ahead of them. It's not his fault. They picked him number one over those guys. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think he'll kind of always be unfairly compared to to Luca for that reason. So, yeah. What do you think, Chris? No, definitely. I mean, when you're when you see a guy who's a generational talent get picked later in the draft, and you were the guy picked before him, <laughs> life is going to be hell for you trying to prove yourself. No matter even if you are an all star, they're yep. going to be like, "Well, you're not. You're not the MVP of the league." But I'm an all-star. You're not the MVP. You're not a multi-time MVP like we think right. it's going to be. So, yeah, it's it's tough for uh for Aiden. But... At least he's not Marvin Bagley. Yeah, at least he can stay on the floor. That's true. Right. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, still I, like I, I was a big guys. believer in Marvin Me Bagley. Too. That's, that's one another of my biggest show. ones. Bob that's a, it's a whole nother show. Whole nother show. All right, so at 23, guys, Lonzo Ball finally makes his appearance here on the show. Chris? What do you think about where I have Lonzo? It's not a bad spot for him either. Um, he's improving, but I think we, we might – I feel like we kind of know who Lonzo is. I don't know if he's going to be a, an all-NBA guy. I think this is one of the names where we can maybe you know all agree that we don't think he's going to be an all-NBA player right. moving forward. But he still going to be a very good player, a really good player. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. I like this spot for him. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Um, Austin, what do you think, man? I like it a lot. And saying that he's not one of gonna he may not be one of the three best point guards in the NBA is is not that big of criticism personally. How dare you? You know, <laughs> right. But I do agree with Chris. I think more than anybody else on this list, he's the guy that we know what his what his future is gonna look like, you know, barring injury the best, because a lot of these other guys you you could see, you know any moment they could make a star leap or, you know, or already have. And Lonzo's just kind of a, a really, really solid NBA point guard. And that's okay. But I just don't, I don't know if there's a whole lot left for him to unlock and hit that we haven't already seen. Fair enough. All right. So at 24, we have, you know, I, I, I tongue in cheek, I'm going to say I put him on this list because I didn't want to get fired from the off the ball network. But I have R.J. Barrett at 24 here, you know, representing the New York Knicks fan base here. Uh, Chris, what do you think about R.J. being on the list? He wasn't on ESPN's. He He's not one of my favorite younger players, um, but he has improved. I cannot deny the, the steady improvement he has made since my days of truly watching him all the time at Duke. Mm-hmm. His time at Duke really soured my outlook on him as a player because I, I called him Sea Biscuit. I feel like he put the blinders on and <laughs> yep. he was just trying to go to the rack and did not worry about passing or deferring to Zion, who was clearly the best player. He continued to see himself as that guy, but he has improved now in the NBA. He is a better facilitator and he is improving as a shooter. It's, and so he has the the frame, the build. Um, I like the spot of him. You know, I'm not mad at it. Yeah, and I, even if you just look at this past week or two weeks, he's improved drastically over this short amount of time. Also, when do you think about Barrett here at 24? I just, I, I think for one, you know, we wouldn't be doing our, you know, our job if we didn't talk about something to do with the Knicks in a positive way. We've got to, <laughs> you know, why not? We're part of the off the ball network, so trash him in the in the chat room enough. I gotta, dude. Say I'm telling you what, th- this experience with this network has completely changed my perspective on New York sports fans. They're <laughs> great people. They're wonderful. All you ever hear about is the the video yeah, of like, that video of um 
of uh, Tim Tebow running off the field, getting yelled at by the Jets fans and stuff, and how off the <laughs> awful things that they said. That's all you ever really hear. But mm. I think they're the best. And R.J. Barrett belongs on this list in my eyes. I think he he has kind of shown that he can improve and he can adapt. Which I was, I'm with you, Chris. Again, like at, at Duke, all I heard about was how good this big three they had was going to be. And my thing is, if you're that good, you shouldn't be completely out outshined and oh and overshadowed by another by a teammate of yours and mm-hmm. after four games all anyone talked about was Zion. that was it and obviously for good reason but if you're a top two or three guy in the draft level player you should be able to you know have your moments too and he really didn't but uh he's been he's been improving a lot this year i think uh um Thibodeau is the best thing that could have ever happened to him i think he's you know as long as he embraces his style of coaching i think he's going to get uh, get the most out of him for sure yeah, no doubt about that. So, Chris, rounding out my top twenty-five, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, warn you that this one is heavily based on potential and analytical data. So, like oh, per thirty-six, dude, all of this. It's not Jaron Jackson Jr. It's not Jaron Jackson Jr., but he, he may be the next best thing. Uh, James Wiseman for the Golden State Warriors, and to be Ooh. fair, I had him as my best prospect Ooh. in this draft. So, I, I'm still really high on him. Wait, no, Cassius Winston? Uh, Cassius <laughs> Winston, I had eighth, and I'm still waiting for him to get some playing time. I still think that he's going to be something in he's, the He's about 26 on Steven's list. He's Yeah, if it wasn't James Wiseman, it was, I think he's not 25, though. I think that's what really hurt him on this list. But um, uh, Chris, what do you think about James Wiseman being 25th here? I don't agree with it, but I would love it if it panned out. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I'm a Warriors fan. So there you I go. Love, but I... I, I'm not a big Wiseman guy. I still like Onyeka more than Wiseman, but that's just me. I'm gonna okay. Well, what if I told you that this season his per 36 numbers, he would be averaging 19, 10, and one and a half blocks per game? Would that change your mind? I would ask how many fouls is he asking those 30, <laughs> getting those 36 minutes as well? Well, they don't project the foul out. He might, he might foul out, but I mean, so okay, <laughs> 17, 9, and a block a game. I would like. I would love that. I mean, he does show some glimpses where he's he's extremely talented player. He's very talented, especially Mm -hmm. for his size. He's just so raw. But um, it's. I kind of think he's going to have to have a Julius Randle type of career where he bounces around before it all comes together. I'm not sure if it's all going to come together during his time with Golden State, especially with the players around in Golden State in the window to win being right now so i kind of think he's one of those guys where moving forward if he becomes that star caliber player we think he can it's because he bounced around to another uh, franchise and found a true home okay that's fair and uh i would also like to mention austin before i give it to you that it usually takes you know a season or two for big men to really figure out the nba as opposed to the, you know these point guards or dynamic forwards so yeah um again this is Heavily based on potential and analytical data, um, James Wiseman. Do you are you feeling him as a as a player moving forward? I am. Yeah, I I think that a, a big thing like what you said with big guys, young big men, and just rookies in general, and even more so this class is. Do the top guys in this class even really know how to play basketball that well yet, <laughs> or are they just freaks? Like Lamelo knows how to play. Anthony Edwards 
has a lot of learning to do, but he just he shows flashes of what he's going to be, and it's impressive. James Wiseman, same thing. He's hardly had any real big time coaching. I mean, I think he did have Penny Hardaway as his AAU coach, so that probably helps. But you know, he never really even played in college. He's still figuring out everything about the NBA game. And, and my like, thing is, it's a is yes, is a twenty foot jump shot any different in the NBA than it is in college or high school? Not really. I mean, if not, not talking about being defended. I'm just saying. I was going to say the defense surrounding it might right. be the only but thing. If but. you can score, you can score. If you can, if you, I feel like that's the most easily trans translatable ability, you know, skill of all of them in the, to me is if you're a good scorer, you're going to be able to score. And most of the time, big men are, are counted on more young early in their careers for defense and hustle and that kind of stuff. And from what, I gather from hearing coaches talk about it, defense is the hardest thing to teach new incoming rookies because 80% of what they do, they don't teach in college or high school. It's completely different. And it's a totally new system that these guys have to learn. And that's kind of what they, I think, probably focus on early on in their careers. And and with Steph Curry out there and the way the Warriors were built going into this season before Clay's injury, he was never going to be like a focal point on their offense right now. Mm-hmm. But I think honestly that the potential he has, and like Chris said, with the window of opportunity to win with Steph now that the Warriors have, I could see him getting traded. I think he's got really, really high potential, and I think a lot of teams would give up a lot for for him in the next year or two if the Warriors were to try to make a significant move to try to you know win a couple more titles with Steph and Clay. Okay, fair enough. Well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to wrap up our show for this evening. Chris, we just want to thank you so much for giving yes. us, you know, an hour and a half of your, of your evening, man. I appreciate you guys reaching out to me. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's always a great time chopping it up with y'all and, and talking. Dude, you're one of the people I, you know, I admire most on our network. I think I, I always like having you on. I'm, I'm interested to know what you got going on for everybody. And tell us a little bit about what you've been doing, man, just <laughs> work. Just yeah. working uh, with the, the news station here in uh, Columbus, Mississippi, you know, put together a few stories. Uh, one recently I did was uh, it's a player named Tyson Carter, grew up in Starkville, played basketball at Mississippi State, and now he's playing basketball overseas in uh, in Greece. So okay. uh, I did a story just um, we Zoomed and just trying to learn more about how it's been playing professional ball during a pandemic overseas. That whole learning curve of you know the different challenges you you faced. He had to uh, get a visa, like he he was about to fly out to go overseas, and you find out you have to get a visa, so that delays you going um to Greece. You get he got there, um, the season was delayed because of COVID. His team catches COVID. He catches COVID. Mm. So it's been a lot of different things thrown his way as a rookie trying to get used to playing basketball in a professional league. But um, he's been doing great. He's averaging 14 points a game. So I was able to talk with him and just learn more about his story. So that's um, something. Awesome. If you want to go to our website at WCBI.com, I have that story that you can check out. It was really dope talking to him. Yeah, I want to hear that. I was going to ask you if more. that's going to be on your podcast or on, on the – on the checkup with Chris Bolton, but um, I definitely WCBI.com. Be sure to go yes. check that out. I'm going to go look that up because I like hearing about, you know, the, the players that are still doing it big, right? Because people will hear, Oh, he's playing overseas and a typical American ignorance will just be like, Oh, that's not NBA. So he must not be right. right. Well. Like, 
he's still like top, you know, one percent of the world at what yeah, he he's does. still a professional player. <laughs> right. So yeah, I'm right. I always love hearing about those types of stories. So yeah, go, be sure to go to uh, WCBI.com, check out that story and all the other great work that Chris does for there. And um Chris, just thank you so much for your time today, man. Hey, no problem. Appreciate you guys. This definitely won't be the last yeah. time. We always oh, no, love sir, man. Like I always say, you're what, who I want to be when I grow up, Chris. I would love to have your job. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Chris. Could you say that again? I said I'm definitely going to have you guys on my pod soon. So, so be ready. Dude, say when. Yep. I got you. Tell him because I'll forget, but tell him and I'll be there. <laughs> I'm kind of Austin's, uh, you know, um, what is you're that You're in called? charge and I, I just, you tell me when and where to be you're and, what, and what we're talking about and we're good to go. I'm, I'm the planner. I'm the, I'm his, uh, his personal assistant. If no, you no, 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 no. You're not my assistant. You're, <laughs> you're much more valuable than that. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So Austin, before we close out, man, um, anything that you want to kind of share with the, the people? Yeah, um, I'm actually almost done with uh, a new article that's going to be coming out here soon. I might finish it tonight. I'm going to try, hopefully. Okay. I actually fell asleep with my laptop on my lap last night working on it, or it would have been done today. But uh, <laughs> it's just all about the the idea that there's so many blowouts in this season. And in some aspects, I agree with it, but it's not quite as bad as what everybody is making it out to be. And I think this piece is really going to kind of open people's eyes to that. Like, it's it's partly about blowouts and partly about everybody's talk of lack of and how much scoring has gone up. Hasn't really gone up that much, you know, historically wise. And it dives into all that. So it's, it should be a pretty good read. I'm pretty excited about it. All right. And that'll be available at offtheballnetwork.com. As for myself, I'm working on a just exposition about how strange this season has been. I'm going to be touching about a lot of different aspects of that. And uh, taking a deep dive, it's probably going to be an extensive read. But I mean, if you're a basketball nerd like all of us here, you know, it'd be worth the while. I'm definitely doing my due diligence to make that a good read. So be sure to go to offtheballnetwork.com to check out all of our work. And then also, there's other great, you know, talent on there as well. You know, we have podcasts the on the iceberg. Yeah, just the tip of the iceberg. We have, you know, podcasters, we have writers, all of that available on offtheballnetwork.com. So, um, before we close out again, I just want to remind everybody you get 20% off and free shipping with the code BTG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BTG. Unlock your confidence and as always, use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Fellas, thank you so much for your time. Um, we're going to go ahead and close out and uh, just hope everyone enjoys the rest of their day no matter what time they're listening to this. Much love, everybody. Have a good one.